The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. So I saw something this week I've never seen before in my 49 years of life. I've never seen a standing ovation in the middle of a movie. It's crazy. It was loud. There was clapping. There was cheering. Woo, 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 woo. People were standing in the middle of this movie. And what in the world was causing them to stand and woo, woo in the middle of this movie? Without spoiling anything, Wes, it was resurrection. It was the return of a hero. It was the celebrating of someone who had been gone for a long time, coming back to bring help where there was helplessness, to bring restoration where there was destruction, to bring life where there was death. And it completely surprised me. I've not seen people sitting in complete silence suddenly turn so rowdy. The central theme in the storyline of the gospel, which time and time again surprises us, is this. Resurrection comes out of ruin. Reversal comes out of wreckage. Right comes out from deep within the wrong. This fall, as we've been walking through the book of Amos, we've been watching firsthand And experiencing firsthand the prophet's words take a sledgehammer to the nation Israel and to the church. Amos has brought God's roar of a promised ruin. Ruin not only to Israel's neighbors and enemies, ruin to Israel themselves. As God brings rightful judgment on his people for their complete Failure to live according to his mission statement, which was this. Love me and love others as you have been loved. Instead, they've lived as a privileged people. People who have been shown God's mercy and grace, but they're living as if they're deserving of it. And God, throughout the sayings of the prophet Amos is pleading for his people, return to me and my ways. Remember my justice. Remember my righteousness. Israel, church, remember my justice for you. You have been passed over by God from receiving the penalty of your sin. You have been forgiven. Remember that justice was spared you. Israel, church, remember my righteousness Live as a people who look like the God who spared you. Those have been his themes throughout Amos. But instead, how have they been living like spoiled children? Living as recipients of mercy who believe, you know what? I deserve more of that blessing. They've been oppressing the poor. They've been crushing the needy. They've been demanding more. They've been consuming more. So that it is obvious that what Israel truly deserves is this. God's judgment. God's punishment. 
God's wrath, God's ruin. Israel, and oftentimes the church, we are not a people who reflect the heart of God, a loving and merciful God. And I want to ask first us, as we've been going through Amos for the past several months, how has this book taken a sledgehammer to you, sinner? Have you, like a sister I've talked to this week, seen your sin so obviously that it has caused you to cry out, mercy, not only for you, but also for the neighbors around you? Friends, I have a promise from Amos. It says this, resurrection comes out of ruin. Have you been sitting in Amos more aware of your weakness, asking God to rebuild something better in you than this temporary shack that you've constructed? I have hope for you. Resurrection comes out of ruin. Have you been caught in your sin and humbled in the sin of your pride, knowing that the wrath of God is what you deserve? I have hope for you. Resurrection comes out of ruin. What Israel And us truly deserve is judgment, is punishment, is wrath, is ruin. But sinners, the book of Amos doesn't leave us there. It's not God's final word. It never is. A reading from the prophet Amos chapter 9. In that day, I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen. I will repair its breaches. I will raise up its ruins. I will rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom. And all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine. They shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land and they shall never, never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord, your God. God, we thank you for your word. The story of your grace. What is the last word God wants to say to cursed and deserving of death sinners? Resurrection comes out of ruin. What I have destroyed, I will rebuild. If resurrection comes out of ruins, friends, then our prayer at the end of Amos and at the end of this Advent season should be this. Level me. Raise me, R-A-Z-E. Raise me. Ruin me. So that Christ may be raised up in me. And so I want to ask of this passage, where do we see resurrection, new life, coming out of ruins in the final words of Amos? Where do we want resurrection and new life to come out of the ruins? Well, it comes in this passage in two ways. First, In the process of new life, of resurrection life. 
And second, in the permanence of resurrection or new life. First, we see resurrection coming from the ruins as a process. Look with me at verses 11 and 12. Look at how this passage first is constructed in light of the term day in verse 11. The day of the Lord throughout the book of Amos has been a term that's been implying wrath and judgment. I'll just read some of the descriptions of day throughout Amos that you've heard in your ears for the past several weeks. It's been a day of battle, a day of tornado or whirlwind, a day of quaking, a day of destruction, a day of punishment, a day of darkness, a day of wailing, a day of fainting, a day of bitterness, a day of death. That's what's been so far in Amos about this day. The process of resurrection from the ruins includes a ton of ruin. But notice in these final words of Amos, what do you see with regard to the word day? Look yourself, look at verse 11. On that day, what else happens? Look at the verbs in these short two verses and think of it in light of everything we've heard so far in Amos. What do you see the Lord doing? I will raise up on that day. I will repair on that day. I will rebuild on that day. The process of resurrection, it begins with ruin, but the Lord doesn't end it there. This should give us great hope in the God of Amos. He took us through this fall, through grueling weeks of hearing his judgment against our sin, but he doesn't leave us there. He never leaves his people there. But why, friends, why does this process seem so imbalanced, right? Why are there just five verses of the rebuilding of Israel and the church at the end of, I've counted, 141 verses of the Lord's judgment against Israel's guilt. I want you to imagine for a second that your name was called and you were to step in the courtroom right now of God. Where the judge says, today, on the docket, we're hearing the case of you versus a holy God. And behind the judge, as he's sitting there raised up, behind him is the holy portrait of the character of God, which you, as an image bearer, have been called to display to the world. That holy image is the Ten Commandments. And the judge says, we'll be hearing testimony of every breach and every breaking of this law that you have committed. And as you're standing there, they say, please go ahead and bring in the evidence. And you look behind you as you hear the sound of like 17 or 17,000 dump trucks beeping, backing up, filled with piles of files of evidence against you, filled with the piles and files of the accumulation of all of your sin. The unmistakable deserving of your death sentence in those trucks is days and years and decades of testimony. 
painful accounts from your life of unmistakable pride, hidden skeletons, filthy thoughts, selfish ambitions, religious pretending, all there in those trucks, heaped and dumped on you to the point where we would cry after just minutes, please have mercy, no more, no more, I can hear no more. Why does Amos appear so imbalanced? So that we can know with complete certainty how undeserving of the grace of God we are. Church, much of the church in America, many of the Christian radio stations in America, many of the false teachers and prophets and politicians in America say, you deserve good things. There could be nothing further from the truth. We deserve what? We deserve to die. To be destroyed. The process of resurrection needs for us to see a graveyard of death-deserving bodies. And to stand silent in it. So that when we hear these words, I will raise her up. I will rebuild her. We, like the Marvel fanatics I saw this week, would stand up and shout, Yeah! Yeah, 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 yeah! That's incredible! Yeah, yeah, yeah! How does this process work? Well, the scripture tells us in verse 11, Through the booth of a king. From the line of David. It's kind of strange, right? When they would hear Booth in this passage, what would they think of? What would, might you think of? They would think tent or temporary dwelling place. But that temporary dwelling place is a movable structure. Like the tabernacle was. They can move it around like a tent would be. But our minds would also do well to think of Booth as a temporary structure that can move around being a body. A temporary structure that could hold a king. As bodies lay ruined on the ground, there was one who was born in the city of David, born in a tent of a body. Born to fall for us. Born to repair the breaches we made. Born to take the demolition of God's Eden. The one planted in what verse 12 says, in the days of old. And rebuild it. The one able to resurrect the ruinous people. His booth. His body fell off of the cross, was broken on the ground, and lay in ruins in the grave. And on that day, the process of resurrection began. As he would be raised, as he would be restored, as that booth would be restored by the life-giving Spirit. The people of Israel who believed they deserved the grace of God, they were wrong in believing they were deserving of it. 
But they were right in believing that from Israel, from them would come the grace of God. From them would come the King of God. The one who makes all things new. Resurrection comes from ruins. Every day of our gospel living, friends, must include this process. Ruin and resurrection. Dying to ourselves and rising with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who lives, but Christ, the son of David, who lives within this booth. Through the spirit of God who raised him and then me from the dead. Are your days filled with this process of dying and rising When the Lord, by his grace and by his spirit, shows you your sin, do you take the file folder that contains your sin? Do you say, you know, let me just clean it up or let me just hide that mess from God or others? Or do you open it up and just sit in the ruin of it and plead to the Lord, have mercy? And do you wait upon him to bring you back to life? Practice this process, friends, of daily dying, daily repentance. Put to death the sins which are killing you. Confess them. Turn away from them. Be honest about them with others and with the Lord. And admit to God and to others, these sins are causing me ruin. And when you do that, when you repent, watch The Spirit of God bring you back to life. That second part of the process, that resurrection, friends, it's not yours to do. You can't do it. It's His. Be watchful. And give glory to the God who raises, rebuilds, and repairs you. When you see yourself doing something very uncharacteristic of you and very characteristic of God... Give glory to the spirit of Christ that has raised you from the dead. Because when that happens, what else follows? Or who else follows? Verse 12 tells us. The rest of mankind, not just Israel, not just the church. Who are called by my name, hear the sound of my voice and follow As we begin living in this process of resurrection, dying to ourselves and rising to Christ like Israel was supposed to live. We soon become a blessing, not just to ourselves, but to all of the nations. See that in verse 12? The remnant of Edom. In Acts 15, it's also translated as the rest of mankind. All of the nations will come to life as well. So many of those enemies that we heard about at the beginning of Amos will become family members. What grace from the Lord who is in the process of doing this, of not only raising us up to new life, but being us being a blessing to all of the nations in the world. As we come back to life, so too do they. Resurrection comes from the ruins through this daily process of dying. And watching God bring us back to life. Secondly, resurrection from the ruins 
is a permanent thing. Look at the last three glorious verses of Amos. What has happened to the day in verse 13? Look at it. What's happened to it? It's been multiplied. It's now days. The days which are coming. Days of so much prosperity, so much blessing, we can't keep up with it. You see that? The person plowing up the grain or cutting down the grain is run into the person planting the seed. And the person bending down to pull grapes off of the vine is hit with a, excuse me, from the one who's planting more seed. Agriculturally, you don't know what to do with this. There's no beginning or end to seasons anymore. It's just growth, 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 growth. It's a picture of what we heard about, what heard Emily read in Revelation 22, where there will always be fruit on trees, always be grains to be harvested, permanence of blessing, absence of curse. Guess what happens? What does that mean for the poor and the oppressed? They're never going to be hungry again. Look at the landscape of this place. The mountains are flowing with celebratory wine. The hills will be melting with the mercy of God. It's going to be like a permanent standing ovation of God's grace in that day. We will have a land that will never let us die or go hungry. He restores us to a glorious new Eden. And guess what? Glory of all glories for every sinner sitting here. We will never be asked to leave that place again. Why? Because we will no longer be able to sin. Do you see that promise in verse 15? I will plant them on this land of glory and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land. No more Adam and Eve. Get out. We will not be kicked out because we will not only be covered with the perfection of Christ, we will be living in a land where sin and death are no more. We will never stop drinking the wine of his grace and we will never stop eating the food of his mercy. Sinners who have been confronted this week with the ruin of your sin. Know now more than ever that this promise of permanence is yours in Christ. None can snatch you out of his hand. None can snatch anyone who has died to the ruin of their own little kingdoms and entrusted themselves to the mercy of his kingdom can be snatched away. It is the Lord, as verse 12 says, who does this. He finishes what he starts, sinner. Take comfort. And he never ends what he begins, sinner. Saints, this world is not permanent. But I want to ask you, how are you living like this world is permanent? Like this world is your end? Like this is your forever? Thank God it will never be. And direct your eyes upon something that is lasting. Something that is permanent. Take your eyes off the things which are temporary and fix your eyes on the things which are forever. Because what will be is a sinless, glorious perfection. And good news, kids especially, it won't be boring. 
it won't be boring. It won't be a long-winded pastor. It will be this. Everything you love about living will be even fuller. Everything you love about living now will be even fuller. In C.S. Lewis's book, The Last Battle, one of the characters sings about this new heaven and new earth. As he says, I've come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. And at the end of the book, this is how he describes this new place. <laughs> for us as all saints who talk about story a lot, I love this description. For them... In that land, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has ever read, which goes on forever and ever, in which every chapter or every sequel is better than the one before. One of the hard things about that standing ovation during Spider-Man No Way Home was the longing that I'm sure most of those people had for another Marvel movie to give them a little more injection of hope. But one of the beautiful things about the standing ovation of Amos 9 are the last two words of the book. It's like a signature of hope. After eight plus ruinous chapters of judgment, we hear for the first time, not only the Lord God's name and power, wrath and judgment, we hear the name of the Lord God in personal, intimate terms. Says the Lord, your God. During this Advent season, God became personal. He became intimate. The booth of David in a body. Resurrection comes through ruin. And one woman experienced this glorious reality in the Gospel of John. Her name was Mary Magdalene. And she stood weeping. Weeping outside of the tomb of the one man who loved her perfectly. Mary had a reputation, legend says, of being a woman who knew many men. And who was plagued with many demons. And finally, finally, she had met a man who loved her perfectly. And now she's standing outside of his grave. And as she wept. She stooped to look in the tomb. And was hit with another ruinous message. As she saw two angels in white. Sitting where Jesus' body was. One at the head. And one at the feet. And they said to her woman. Why are you in ruin? Why are you weeping? And she said to them. They've taken away my Lord. They've taken away the one person. Who really loved me. And I don't know where they put him. And having said this, she turned around and saw a man standing there, but she didn't know who it was. 
And he said to her, woman, why are you in ruin? Why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? She thought it was the gardener. So she said to him, okay, if you've taken him away, just tell me where you put him and I'll take him away. And the man said to her, Mary. She turned to him and said, teacher. Jesus said to her, don't cling to me. Not yet, for I've not yet ascended to the father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending. If Mary had heard those words end there. If Jesus's word had said, go tell the brothers that I'm ascending. She probably would have remained in a bit of ruin. Because her hope is leaving her again, like so many men from her past have left her. But he doesn't stop his words there. What does he say to her? He says, Mary, I am ascending to my father and to your father. I am ascending to my God and to your God. What Christ claimed was not only to be the son of the father. What Christ came was to bring in his resurrection and adoption of you so that his father could be your father. His hope could be your hope. His resurrection, your resurrection. His home, your home. Resurrection comes out of ruin. Let's pray. Father in heaven. Thank you for the book of Amos. Thank you for the long weeks of hearing the dump trucks filled with all of our sin. To remind us once again as a church, we are undeserving of your grace and mercy. Forgive us for believing that we were deserving recipients of your forgiveness. And thank you for five very potent and powerful verses which remind us that you raise from the ruins us. You give us a new home. Help us to continue to die to ourselves and be raised with Christ. And help us to remember that that home we look forward to is a home which we will never have to leave. Home of glorious forever, where every chapter will be better than the one before it. We pray this all in the glorious, good, resurrected name from the ruins, Jesus. Amen.